miss the show, no worries. On point and on our podcast today, Sunday is the day that COVID support programs come to an end, and we expect that they'll be extended. The question, though, becomes, should they continue on? Should we really keep people on things like wage subsidies if there are lots of jobs available? And given the unintended consequences this aid is causing to our entire labor market. Justin Trudeau says we have to forgive him for not focusing on monetary issues because he worries about families. The same families now being hammered by multiple monetary issues like rising inflation, energy costs, foodflation. If the Prime Minister isn't focused on this, then it is absolutely unforgivable. And an interesting court ruling on a social media mobbing that makes very clear it is not okay to post whatever you want. We'll talk about why context matters on what you post and what a false narrative cost two Ontarian women who lost their livelihoods and their reputations because of a totally unjustified social media mobbing based on one click and one frame of one video. Let's talk. We have not yet fully appreciated the impact of the Thanksgiving weekend. We have some of the data in and certainly some of the um, activity that might have resulted from uh, long weekend gatherings and get-togethers may already be manifest in our data, but I don't know that we can say definitively that we have the complete impact of Thanksgiving yet uh, really appreciated or uh, manifest in our data. Boy, oh boy, you ever get the uh, sense that those in charge never actually want us to reopen? That is the voice of Dr. Kiljoy Davila trying to justify what is really unjustifiable, and that is why small businesses remain locked down. Even though cases are lower than they were in the summer, she is saying that they still need data from a holiday that was 10 days ago. I don't know what planet these people are on. I don't know when it became okay to have venues gathering tens of thousands, which have been open now for two weeks. We've got a premier saying we'll see some kind of reopening plan this week. But, you know, even if that comes out Thursday or Friday, it still means these small businesses won't be up and running for, let's say, another week. And on Sunday, aid packages for these businesses all expire. And we've heard nothing from anyone in charge of whether or not they're being extended. I want to bring in Julie Kavinsky, the Director of Provincial Affairs Ontario. She joins us now. Good to have you. Thanks for having me, Alex. Really appreciate being on your show again. I got to be honest, I was so frustrated, as I have been many, many times, just hearing Dr. Davila kind of waver on this, well, you know, we need more data, we need more data, especially when most of these decisions are not actually being driven by data. No, it's really unfortunate. And again, you look at these chief medical officers of health, they are not elected officials. So we have Mm -hmm. to look to the Ontario government. They ultimately make the decision. They take the data, whatever it is, and then decide where to go with it. And of course, the anger level of our members keeps ratcheting up day after day as this playing field is not level with big businesses like large sports venues. So you have to ask yourself, Why was it okay to announce full capacity for large large sports venues before Thanksgiving, before any of Mm -hmm. this data was available? Why do they have to have data for small businesses? Yet clearly, there's no way there was any data 
for that business to allow large sports venues to remain open. And you know why? The answer is simple. They were closed. So how would you have data for something that's been closed? Well, that's true. But yeah, the smarter if we were doing things, you know, pr- you know, with prudence and, and caution, then you would sm- open these small businesses because you can track things much more, um, you know, easily than you open the bigger venues after you've got a, a, the small businesses off the ground. And so what are you hearing as far as when we may get details of any kind of reopening for small business? Well, we're not hearing anything concrete. It's very frustrating. We're hearing about an announcement this week sometime. But even then, Alex, we don't know if that will mean a staged approach. So we have no idea. But we're sensing, based on a lot of the the language out there, we're hearing things about slow and cautious, yet... Why was the lifting of capacity restrictions fast and furious for some big businesses like large sporting venues? I mean, you look at tonight, and you can't imagine how a gym or a restaurant would feel. People love sports. That's not the issue here. It's leveling the playing field. The Raptors are opening their season tonight, so that means over 20,000 fans are going to be packed into Scotiabank Arena, sitting side by side, no physical distancing requirements, yet... If I'm a gym, I'm at 50% capacity. If I'm a restaurant, I still have physical distancing requirements. If I'm a bowling alley, I can only open half my lanes. And what makes it more frustrating, Alex, is the fact that all of these businesses are doing the Mm -hmm. same thing. They all have to check for vaccine credentials, and they all have strict health and safety protocols. And I would argue that a small business owner can watch his business more like a hawk just because sure. it's not as big as a giant sports arena. Right. And, yeah, that, that, that is very, very true. And so what then are you hearing about these aid packages? We don't have a house, um, you know, sitting um, until November 22nd. Well, that is weeks and weeks here. away, and, and, and we've got aid packages coming to an end on Sunday. So the aid you're talking about is federal aid. So yeah. that's no, I know that, but but th- th- that's federal. But again, this is coming yeah. to a close for a lot of businesses on Sunday. They yeah. don't know, like, they're not getting but, any answers. But who made the decision on this? The Ontario government. Where's the money from them, Alex? There's nothing right now for financial help for a business unless you're in the tourism industry. There's no help for these poor businesses that are dealing with unruly customers because mm-hmm. they're implementing the government's vaccination policy for vaccine certificates. Where's the help for them to implement this policy? Where's the funding for lost business? Where's the funding for the extra staff, the security that the restaurants have to hire? Where's the funding for the smart devices? These small business owners just don't have a spare smart device lying around. And do you really want to do this using your personal phone? So it's not just the federal government that needs to extend their programs. The Ontario government has to step up to the plate with more funding. These are their decisions. The Ontario government is making these closure decisions, opening decisions, and capacity decisions. So they've got to step up with more funding too, Alex. And so what is it that you're hearing from businesses at this point? Because some people will say, look, it's, it's another week or so, and then they'll get to open. But we're also dealing with, you know, rising cost of living, supply chain issues. There's all, there, there are so many economic headwinds pressing up against these businesses at the same time. What are they actually telling you at this point? Well, they get 
frustrated when one hear things like, oh, 14 days is a short time frame. It's very insulting. Tell a gym owner who's barely surviving, a restaurant owner, to wait 14 more days so his businesses open up to 100% capacity when they may have a COVID-related debt of over 190000 Every day mm-hmm. counts when you're a struggling business. And if you don't understand that... You need to walk a COVID mile in a small business owner's shoes to understand Mm -hmm. what it's like to run a business when you've closed for so many days. Like, here's a great example. Restaurants to indoor dining in Toronto closed by the Ontario government for a whopping 411 days. How can these businesses be expected? Like, even when the government does eliminate their capacity restrictions, Alex, they are still going to need help. And not just from the federal government, but from the Ontario government that made the decisions to close them. They have to be held accountable for closing these businesses. And these businesses still need help. And anybody that has a recovery plan, lifting capacity restrictions is one tiny part of that. There has to be a component where these businesses still get more help. A lot of them are hanging on by a thread, Alex. And the Ontario government's got to step up to the plate, too, not just the federal government. Boy, oh, boy. Uncertain times, and uh, that's all we know these days. Uh, Julie, very much appreciate uh, your time on this. We'll continue to follow it and uh, continue to talk about it and make sure it's uh, being given the time that it deserves. Appreciate your time. Thanks, Alex. Have a good one. Take care. That is uh, Julie Kovinsky with the uh, CFIB. She's the director of the Provincial Affairs Branch. Uh, when we come back... We'll talk to Ian Lee because this is the new norm for at least a decade, according to The Economist I listened to today. Uh, And we haven't even talked about the next knock, which is interest rates, which the Bank of Canada said, "Eh, probably not going up. And all the other banks are saying, yeah, they are. They're going to have to go up a couple of times. So what will that mean to the average Canadian, many who are over leveraged in very, very, very overpriced real estate? Because it's no longer a matter of if, it is how soon? Let us talk about that next. Stay here with us, Alex Pearson. We've got a busy show for you on point. This is Global News Radio. So as we head into the end of this year, there's really no reprieve in some of the recent drivers of higher inflation. We'll have to look to 2022 probably for any sort of a deceleration in the headline rate of inflation. There you go. That is the CIBC coming out with their uh, people talking about this. And there is no really bigger headline, Um, not for this country. Pocketbook issues are the number one issues facing Canadians. They always were and should have been treated so during the election where we talked about nothing. Inflation, of course, surpassing all predictions, now sitting at 4.4%. This is the highest we've seen since 2003. And then, of course, you add in all the foodflation, which is 4%. I don't know if you've bought meat lately, but meat has doubled in price. Fish is pretty much on affordable milk. All these things going up. And then you've got the increased energy costs, driving up the price of fuel and heating costs. And then we'll just keep driving prices up on everything. And we don't have a parliament that gets back to work until November 22nd. And then, of course, in a couple of months, interest rates will go up. Bank of Canada said they wouldn't do it, but all the banks are saying otherwise. And if you've got, you know, a home and you're over leveraged or over borrowed or you're down to the penny, a lot of people could be 
wiped out even by the slightest rise in interest rates. I want to bring Ian Lee into this conversation. He is, of course, with the Sprott School of Business. He joins us now. Good to have you, Ian. Uh, Good evening, Alex. So, you know, I don't think it was a surprise to anyone that inflation just kind of keeps going up, but there's no denying it now that it's going up faster or or, or is more troublesome than uh, our good friend Tiff Macklem uh, decided, you know, decided to tell us over at the Bank of Canada. You're right. It, it is not a surprise because we've seen it unfolding. Um, and it does you no know, comfort. It doesn't provide any comfort for some people to say, well, you know, it's just it's just energy because it isn't just energy. Food went up almost as much. And when you step back for a moment and say, well, what's the significance of food and energy? They're both what I call Survival? existential. You know, yeah. if it's your tires on your car, they're worn. You, well, I can reschedule them. I can squeeze another couple of months, maybe another three or four months to the spring. New suit, new clothes, the shirt, the collars are kind of worn. You can reschedule, postpone, kick it down the road. Most consumer purchases can be canceled, rescheduled, you know, postponed, etc. You cannot say, I can't afford to eat, so I'm just going to stop eating for the next year. That's not on the cards. It is not you, nobody can contemplate that. That's why I say it's existential. And the energy is likewise. We heat our homes and we drive our car to get our groceries at minus 25 or take the kids to soccer or go to work because most of us don't want to get in a bus anymore or on a mass transit because who knows who's vaccinated or not on that uh, uh, way of transporting yourself. So my point being that in the the two most um, acute uh, products or things that we mm-hmm. use and consume, food and energy, they're going up the most. And we can't yeah. stop eating and we can't stop heating our homes or driving our cars. So this is why it's even worse than I think the situation looks because energy, there's no end in sight. Uh, the carbon tax is going to keep going up. It's, got, it's only at $50. It's supposed to go to 175 We could mm-hmm. be looking at it next year at $2 a liter uh, or at least yeah. a year and a half. And, and, of course, people aren't, aren't even talking about natural gas. There is a carbon tax on that. And the tax, the carbon, the, the, the natural gas price is going up because of the shortages in, in Europe and China. It's going to come through here just as the winter starts to get really cold, and they're going to be seeking uh, price increases on natural gas. So, again, this is an existential thing that we use. You've got to heat your house. You don't have yeah. a choice. You know, I'm saying that because the prime minister says, well, carbon taxes, you know, change your behavior. Well, switch to what? Switch to what? Yeah, well, freezing my butt off was not uh, really in the cards for 2021-22. I mean, we suffered enough, but that literally is, you know, for some people... Uh, it's going to mean they they go without heat or block heaters or whatever. But, you know, nine in 10, I'm I'm sure you saw the Angus polling today. When you look at what people are worried about, nine in 10 identify rising cost of living as a greater concern than job or income security, which is a pretty scary um, thought um, because you you can't have one without the other. Well, because people understand. (laughs) They really do understand this is existential. It's about... Will I have enough money to afford to eat? Will I have enough money to afford to drive my car? Will I have enough money to heat my house? This is this this isn't you know academic. This isn't theoretical, you know. And uh, and this is what I 
I really don't think that the activists have really thought through. They don't realize that I've heard, I've talked, I debate activists. So, you know, they say, well, you know, just change your behavior, you know, as if you can somehow stop eating or if you can somehow stop heating your home. And, and you know, to say, well, you know, just switch to something else. It's not that simple. It's $5,000 to buy an electric furnace. You've got to rewire your house. You're talking thousands and thousands of dollars. And and electricity is 15 cents a kilowatt hour. Yeah. And natural gas right now when you use the formula to convert it into the equivalent is about 6 cents a kilowatt hour. So if you switch from natural gas to electric heat in your house, you're not only will the cost of converting go through the roof, but your operating monthly bill mm-hmm. is almost three times higher for electricity than it is for natural gas. So, you know, we should point out, we should point out, though, it also hits. Yeah, we should point out, though, that rural versus urban is also a factor, because if you're a farmer and you have to start drying your crops and paying for all that stuff, they pay a fortune for that. And that, of course, will drive food costs up. I mean, there's so many hits of what, you know, different people will experience. And then people say, well, what can the government do? Well, you know. I don't know what people thought would happen when you stopped oil coming out of the ground and then you put on a carbon tax and then a clean fuel tax. I mean, governments have all these taxes they put on. um, So the everyday people should be calling them and saying, get rid of the clean fuel tax. That would take, what, 13 cents off a tank of gas. There are things that both the provincial and federal government can do, but they won't, Ian, because they are so ideological. In fact, if you want the round, big picture round number, it's about about one-third uh, of the cost of, uh, of gas uh, at the pump is taxes to all levels of government. So at a dollar, just to do round numbers, a dollar fifty. I know gas is not quite a dollar fifty, but just make it nice and simple. A dollar fifty, one third of a dollar fifty is fifty cents, and so about fifty cents on a dollar fifty a liter. And gas is not quite, almost at a dollar fifty a liter. So about fifty cents of that is different taxes: carbon taxes, sales taxes, excise taxes, etc. And um, and that's just and that's just on 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 uh, on gasoline for the car. But the the larger point is, and I wanted to go back to your point. You know, they've been trying to shut. Uh, in fact, activists and governments are talking about shutting down pipelines, shutting down refineries, and reducing our use of of uh, natural gas and uh, and oil, which of course is used to refine into gasoline. And yet, they haven't built the alternatives for us to replace it with. You know, mm-hmm. if, if you're going to if you're going to do that. And, and close down or shut down or reduce the supply, then you better have the alternative energy system in place first before you do that. And, and hopefully it's going to be reasonably similarly priced and not massively more expensive. Because if you do, if the government goes down that road, there's going to be blowback. There's going yeah, to be... Yeah. There's going to be, I think this winter, we could see some very, it could get very, very serious if people start to think they won't have enough money to heat their home. Uh, and it's going yeah, well, to- We saw what happened in Ontario. We got a preview of what happens when you turn everything over to green energy too quickly and then the prices go up. And it's only because we, the taxpayers, subsidize it now that it stays low. But we are paying to keep our prices low. Exactly. Um, but, you know, the other hit, um, and, and while the Bank of Canada said, no, 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 we shouldn't worry about that until 2022, maybe. But the traders are betting that the Bank of Canada will be forced to raise interest rate tax earlier than expected. And it will be three hikes by the end of 2022. So uh, it may go from... 
I, I believe so we're what, going to see a rate hike in the first in the early part of the new year in 2022 because they have to respond. They can't let inflation inflation become embedded. And uh, right. I mean, this is just intro central banking 101, and it's every country around a major country, Western country. And uh, so I think they're going to step in. I think they are going to put up interest rates, and of course that's going to hit uh, people that are the most vulnerable, young people mm-hmm. that just bought a house in the last little while. You know, so uh, it it is it is coming, and that that's a real problem. No, it is a real problem because the market has been so hot in real estate now for the last year, and it's no longer just Toronto. All over the place, people have been overpaying for real estate to get in, and like you said, they're living dollar to dollar, paycheck to paycheck, and even if interest rates go up a tiny, tiny bit. Um, and then factor in businesses which have had to borrow and borrow and borrow and, and maybe put a mortgage, you know, take money out of their mortgage in their house. If interest rates go up at all, because all we've done, if I've got this correct, Ian, is bank on the fact that interest rates would stay low. Exactly. Um, you know, if they go up at all, there are going to be thousands of Canadians losing their homes. Exactly. And that's where it starts to snowball. The crisis starts to snowball. Uh, because the interest rates go up, because inflation is going up, people are having trouble because of their food bills and their transportation and heating bills, and then on top of that, then they get they get a double, triple whammy, a third uh, sort of whack across the side of the head with interest rates going up, and the people that bought homes in the last five or ten years, not older people like me, but younger people who, you know, and of course they bought right to the tilt. They went to 90% often. I'm saying this as a former mortgage manager, that, you know, when you're young, you don't have any down payment, you have very little, so you buy, you get the maximum mortgage possible. Ninety uh, percent mm-hmm. debt to you know uh, debt to loan value ratio, and so and and then some people are going to have to sell their houses or lose their houses, uh, and so we're going to begin to that sort of trap, if you will. So it's not looking yeah. uh, good going forward. No, and um, I, as someone who's you know dad went bankrupt back in the eighties, uh, I know what that's like, and it's a very very yep. scary thing for people, and that's why when I talk about bricks and mortars, I'm not talking about bricks and mortars. I'm talking about people, yes. real lives, yes. real loss, real fear and pain. So. Yes. I love talking to you, Ian. Uh, I'll probably talk to you a lot in the next little while, so I appreciate your time, and I thank you very much. Thanks very much. Good talking with you. Thank you. Ian Lee joining us here, and uh, yeah, this will be an ongoing headline for a long, long time. Coming up, we're going to dive into a real fascinating ruling about social media and defamation, defamation and a case about context and how one screen grab of one moment ended up destroying the lives of two Ontario women accused of doing something they didn't do. And the judge ruled in their favor. So we'll talk about that in just a minute. Alex Pearson here on Point. This is Global News Radio. There's a fascinating ruling on a social media defamation case that shows just how important context matters. And an Ontario judge has ruled that two sisters were, in fact, defamed in a social media uh, mobbing because the mob only saw a snippet of what they assumed was an alleged George Floyd post, and it was not. The original Instagram post showed a video of one sister play fighting with the other sister's boyfriend, and this is something that the sisters posted often on Instagram. And the man is seen kneeling on the girl's back, which is the one image that was screen captured and ended up sparking a social media mobbing that would cost both sisters their jobs, destroy their reputations, 
Their addresses and phone numbers were posted online, leading to things like vandalism and threats that eventually forced them out of their houses. They were castigated. They were called white privileged girls, despite the fact that both are Inuit. And the mobbing started when a member of Black Lives Matter took this one screenshot of the video, posted it online, telling her followers that this was a racist act of mocking George Floyd's death, and then posted 100 additional posts calling on her followers to attack, that the girls be fired, their lives be destroyed. And so ultimately, the judge ruled that the sisters were in fact defamed and ordered the defendant to pay 100000 in damages, but no apology was in fact ordered in this. Lauren Honickman is our Global News Radio legal expert. This is a particular area of expertise for you, things like libel, defamation, and those kinds of things. Um, I find this ruling, just uh, the whole case, fascinating because this happens so often, but to the degree of what these two young women were put through is just shameful. And if I told you that uh, this is this case is really just one mm-hmm. tiny little microcosm of what happens on the internet every day, I wouldn't mm-hmm. be over exaggerating. And it's it's good that this case comes came, uh, came out um, because a lot of these cases don't make it to judgments like this, Alex. A lot of cases, many of them, because I know I'm involved in a lot of them, get settled before they're ever adjudicated. The reason this came out was because the the defendants, uh, the plaintiffs in this case, the sisters, brought what's mm-hmm. called a summary judgment um, application to get it before the court quickly, to saying we don't need to go to trial, we can deal with the issues. And indeed, the judge said, yes, this is appropriate. And why the case is important, I say it's 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 really a snapshot, if you will, of what happens. And I've told we, you and I have talked about this every day. And what mm-hmm. happens is is this particular person decides to take this little snippet and mm-hmm. post it on on her Instagram and on her Twitter and and tries to get everybody to join in in identifying and denouncing the behavior of of the three people in the video, but the two sisters especially. And what ends up happening is what what unfortunately always happens is then floodgates open. It goes all around. And before you know it, before you and when I say before you know it, Mm -hmm. these things happen. You know, the expression overnight. Well, yes, they can happen overnight. And what happens is, is that these two women, um, uh, despite forget about how they are just vilified on the internet. And I mean, you look at some of the things, but from their own lives, they, one gets fired as a Canada mm-hmm. border service agency worker. Another mm-hmm. works at, 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 in a restaurant, she loses her job. Um, but and, she was trying and, to be a teacher. Yeah. And, and, and the, what ends up happening, remember we were talking, we were talking last night on, on, um, uh, counterpoint about meanings when we were talking about Doug Ford and, and how important meanings are. Well, well, this defendant tried to mm-hmm. argue that the meanings, uh, this is where she tried to say, well, it's true. She tried to take the, the defense of justification and said what I was saying when I was making a reference to, to, you know, George Floyd or whatever, or how it looked, it was true. But, but what the judge said is that, no, you can only, Approved the truth of defamatory statements, and she hasn't. 
her allegations against both girls was no basis in fact. Same with fair comment. They tried to argue that it was fair comment, and they said no. They were not, the words weren't fact or recognizable comment. She's failed to prove that. And so, uh, it, it, it was, and it's a harsh judgment. Somebody will say, Alex, well, it's only $100,000. Well, okay, she, they may not see a penny of that. Who knows if the defendant Probably even not. has any yeah. money? But here's the important thing. What the judge ordered is take it all down within, 30, within 10 days, and he permanently prohibited her from publishing any defamatory statements or encouraging anybody, other, anybody else to do so. And that's an order that could come and, and haunt this person a year from now or whatever. But, but it, it's, a, it's an important decision, and, and I urge everybody to read it because – one of the key things about the decision, Alex, is the fact that people talk about freedom of expression. We talk about it every day, how important yeah. it is. We want the Internet to be this wonderful vehicle to allow, and it, and it should be, and it, and it must be. But we always have to draw a line because words, no matter how you phrase them sometimes, can irreparably damage someone else. And you want sure. to cancel people? This is what happens. Well, yeah, there is such a thing as freedom of expression. There's also consequence for that expression because, you know, in our business or in this business and was your business, I can't just go out and say anything I want. I have to choose my words very carefully because I can be sued, um, including on the web. This person, um, as, as the judge ruled, called her vicious, misplaced, deserving of punishment, impulsive, naive, misguided. Yeah. It was just she didn't even bother to make any any attempt to see if what she was putting up was, was accurate. But her lawyer came back and said, you know, I disagree that a white judge should be telling my client or any other black person what is and what isn't racism. Oh this is not about racism. This I is know. about a woman who absolutely destroyed or tried to anyway two people by taking one moment and crafting a narrative that didn't exist. That's right. And that's the argument. That's, that's the whole issue that happens in defamation law. They try yeah. to argue that the meaning of that video, because the person, if you if, had their knee in the person's back, they didn't even have it on the person's neck, but be that as it may, that yeah. their meaning of that video was that it was racist. And, mm-hmm. and because, because they were trying because, to tie it to something called the George Floyd challenge. I guess exactly. around that time, there were participants on the web, which, by the right. way, they're jerks too. But again, uh, that's not what this was. Right. And that's so they tried to argue that's what their meanings were of that. And the judge said no. And of course, now that now the issue is, well, should this judge have done that? And I'm sure we're going to see an appeal in the next, of course, in the next 30 days. But you see, this is this is the. We allow people to be commentators. We allow people, everybody wakes up in the morning and they say, oh, I'm going to go on the internet. I've got Instagram. I've got Twitter. I've got Facebook. I can have my own blog. And I'm going to say what I want to say. Oh, I just heard Alex Pearson last night say these three sentences on the air. I'm now going to publish what those mean. Oh, I get it all the time. <laughs> no, right. It happens all the time to us. Come on. That's right. That, you know, but we can't and, go and after the, them, you know. The danger of it, the danger mm-hmm. is, is that you go, okay, well, everybody's got their own opinion. But, but if something connects, if something all of a sudden connects as it did in this case, and sure. when you look at, as I said, the, the, what gets 
posted on the internet, you know, where people, uh, people starts and, and she, that was one of the problems. Of course, it wasn't just what she said, what was posted on the internet is she's also responsible for, you know, um, uh, you and your girlfriend make a very ugly couple and uh, and all of these things. And and the one apology, there was an apology in this case, but it came from the sisters. The right. it, well, that, and that's they were mobbed so badly that they tried to explain what this was. And when that right. didn't work, then they started to apologize, because if, if 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 the listeners or anybody has ever been through like a Twitter kind of mob and I've been through several I mean, it is it is something you've got to have a pretty thick skin because people can leave you literally in the fetal position because it's that loud and ugly um, and very, very scary. And so when you look at what these women went through, the fact that they had to leave their home because they were terrified, you know, it's a miracle that nothing happened to them or that they didn't do something to themselves. But in the bigger picture, Lauren, what are their... Um, what could they do moving forward? I mean, one of them was uh, trying to get a teacher's job within right. the Catholic board. The Catholic board uh, rescinded that. The other one got fired out of uh, CBSA. Um, can they then take action against those who just buckled and buckled to the cancel culture? Sure. And they, they could. And, you know, I've had clients who we've been in this position who have said, you know, can I can I now sue my former employer who, who let me? Mm-hmm. And what I would always say is I say, look, why don't we do this? Why don't we write to your former employer and attach the judgment and say, mm-hmm. look, this is what happened. You know, you you were concerned. You let me go um, for, for these reasons. But as you can say, we've now been 100 percent vindicated. Here's the judgment. Mm-hmm. Can mm-hmm. we talk about me coming back or can we talk about, you know, whatever? And sometimes that that's that's a better way to do that. But you see, one of the problems, you know, the, right. the word we use is irreparable harm. And mm-hmm. one of the problems is even when you get a judgment like this, even when mm-hmm. you have the as clear as the judge's words are in this judgment, that sometimes is not enough because people will still, once something is out there. Well, it was a white judge. Of course he sided with them. Or they parse it, they split it, and then it just gives it fuel yeah. to a whole new life. It, yeah. It, yeah, and but it's, it's, it's this, it, it points again to this incredible balance between what we want the Internet to be and what we want it not to be. And, what it's and that's and yeah. that's the bal- and and that's why when we have these bigger discussions about should government get involved in regulating speech on the internet and people get up in arms, you can understand that. But I bet if you talk to these two sisters and said, mm-hmm. would you have any problem if the government s- sort of regulated the type of speech on the internet that you were a victim of? You might get a different type of feeling from somebody who's lived through what, as you described, waking mm-hmm. up in that fetal position because the attack is so bad. But this yeah. judgment's important, and I hope I hope a lot of people see it and read it and and learn from it, and because uh, yeah. it's got a lot of lessons in it. Yeah, totally agree. That's why I'm glad we talked about it. So I appreciate your time. Thank you, Lauren. Okay, we'll talk soon. Thank you. There you go. Uh, look, you, you can say what you want, but there is a penalty to a freedom of speech. You, you can't just say, as one person did, Alex doesn't like blacks. You can't say stuff like that, which I told the person, um, you better retract that because that is a defamatory statement right there. You just can't go out and say whatever you want. Freedom of speech has a responsibility. So it's a really important case. I'm glad that it came out. 
and I do hope that people uh, actually learn something from it. Thank you for listening. Of course, you can join us live Monday through Friday, starting 6.30 sharp. Would love to have you. I'm Alex Pearson on Point. This is Global News Radio.